morning. <clears throat> Yesterday at this time I was in Greece, as in the country of Greece. 19 hours of continuous travel and eight time zones later, I am here before you this morning. I was there with pastors Jeff and Dan McDonald, um, with Tony Marisi and Ramon Moses and two other pastors, John Payne and uh, Jeff's brother-in-law, Greg Loomis, and five of us took sons. It was a wonderful trip. And we visited Athens, Thessalonica, and Corinth. And uh, it was first a vacation, all right? Don't let me mislead you. Secondly, we did a little spiritual journey. And as we visited those cities, we recorded things where the Apostle Paul went on his missionary journey. And we are going to uh, put together a little... Uh, evening uh, with that material for people who are interested, and we'll let you know when we get there. So let's uh, open with prayer this morning. Join me, if you will. Father, here in your presence, here in your presence, Lord, we bow before you. As I speak this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to move upon my words that we might be encouraged, exhorted, and uplifted. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The uh, title of my sermon this morning is The Legacy of Grandparenting. My sermon is the fourth in a series that we've done on the family, Pastors Jeff uh, Dan and Pastor Ken have all preached on various aspects of the family. Pastor Jeff wasn't old enough to preach this sermon this morning, so he got me out of mothballs to, uh, to give it to you. You probably don't realize that there is a national day for grandparents. In 1973, Jimmy Carter signed into law National Grandparents Day. It's always the first Sunday after Labor Day in the fall. And so now uh, that you know that, if you have grandparents, you can mark that on your calendar and make sure that you send them a card. Something else you probably don't know is the age that people become grandparents in the United States. Now, this is just a number. Remember that. So when you hear it, you know you may be on one side of it or the other. Don't feel bad. It's just a number. I'll give you five seconds in your mind to think about how old it is. The age is 48. 48. I'm going to give you a few more statistics here, and then we'll really get down to business. Over 5 million children in our country today are being raised by grandparents. 72% think that being a grandparent is the single most important and satisfying thing in their life. So some of you really got something to look forward to there, don't you? 63% say that they can do a better job caring for grandchildren than they did their own children. 68% think that being a grandparent brings them closer to their adult children. There are a lot of reasons for that when you think about it. And finally, 90% enjoy talking about their grandkids to just about everyone. <laughs> In fact, uh, a couple of months ago, a grandfather in a congregation said this to me. He said, you know, if I knew that having grandchildren was going to be so much fun, I would have had them first. 
What I really want to talk to you about today is what it means for us to be godly grandparents. There is no age of our lives for which the Lord does not have a purpose, and certainly that goes for grandparents as well. I have a sorted number of scriptures. We're going to look at two things that God desires in terms of us as grandparents uh, for building a legacy in the lives of our grandchildren. And so I'd like to start by looking at Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. I'm reading out of the NIV, and it reads as follows. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. And in Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7, we read, We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And finally, in Joel chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. Do you get the message here? Do you get the theme of what God is saying, his word is saying? The Lord wants grandparents to leave a godly legacy in their families by telling their children and grandchildren the wonderful deeds that he has done. And this includes not only the Bible stories and the great deeds of the scriptures, but the deeds that God has done in our own lives and the things that he has uh, done for us so that our grandchildren may know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, <clears throat> do we realize that the gospel could be completely wiped out in one generation? Everyone born into this world is born into sin, and as a result of that, we come into the world as children of the devil. And that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. Who is the spirit, the ruler of the kingdom of the air? That is Satan. And we all come into this world as his children, and the word all in Greek means all. At the lowest point of the human race in the history of the earth, how many believers were there? One, right? One, and his name was Noah. Not even his family, only Noah. He was the only righteous one. And they don't have exact numbers or estimates. I, I tried to find out what was the population of the world at the time of Noah. And uh, they estimated it from 51,000 to a million. And there was only one. His name was Noah. But when they got off the ark, you better believe there were seven more believers 
at that time. Um, <clears throat> Noah's grandfather's name was Enoch. Enoch. We remember him, don't we? The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God and was not. A Sunday school teacher was telling his, uh, going to tell the story of Enoch to his kids one morning and said, does anybody know the story of Enoch? And one little guy raised his hand and he said, I do. He said, Enoch went out for a walk with God one day and they walked all day long. And at the end of the day, God said to him, well, Enoch, you're closer to my house than yours, so why don't you just come home with me? And that's what Enoch did. The book of Jude tells us that Enoch prophesied to the people of his day. In Jude 14 and 15, we read the following. See, the Lord has come with thousands upon thousands of his holy angels to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh words sinners have spoken against him. Do you think that Enoch remembered the words of his grandfather when he was building the ark? The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness as well. Noah's grandfather Enoch passed that godly legacy on to his grandson. Hezekiah was one of the most godly kings that Judah ever had, but his dad, his father Ahaz, was a terrible king. He was one of the most ungodly. But Hezekiah's grandfather, Jotham, was a godly man, and it, he was the one who inspired Hezekiah, and he was the one who Hezekiah followed. Paul says of Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Because of godly grandparents, there is always hope if one generation misses it the following generation can be restored by godly grandparents, giving them a godly legacy. And do you realize that grandparents have something that God has never had? Can you imagine having something that God has never had? God has no grandchildren. He has no grandchildren. Think about that for a minute. God has and will always have only children. No parent can save their own child by saying that I was a Christian, so my child inherited my Christianity. Do you understand? Everyone becomes a child of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to happen in each generation. And so God has only children. I want to take a step back here for a moment because all of us were parents before we were grandparents. Some of you are still parents, and you're not grandparents yet, but you probably will be someday. Um, that is where God's desire for our family legacy begins. I said earlier that no one is born a Christian. We are reborn into the world as Christians. As Jesus proclaimed to Nicodemus the night he came to see him, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. In Malachi 2.15, the prophet is speaking to the children of Israel about their spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness, and their moral laxity. And he says this in Malachi 2.15, Has the Lord not made them one, he's talking about a husband and wife, in flesh and spirit, they are one. And why one? Because God, he was seeking godly offspring. It's the primary responsibility of us 
as parents to pass the baton of the gospel to the next generation. It's not the pastor's responsibility, it's the parent's responsibility. And that doesn't mean, as I said earlier, just telling them about the historical deeds of God, but the things that happen in our own lives, and by modeling for them Christianity and what it really means. When our kids were young, we went to State Park Speedway on Thursday night to the races. And at the races, if you were 12 and under, you got in free. The first year that our oldest son, Dave, turned 13, we went to the races and he said, Dad, I'm small for my age. If you tell them I'm 12, they'll believe you. And you could get me in without paying for me. And I said to him, Dave, you're 13 and we're going to pay for you. 20 years later, 20 years later, Dave and I were sitting in a football stadium in Boulder, Colorado at a Promise Keepers event with 55,000 other men. And the speaker was talking about fathers speaking to their sons with truth and integrity. And Dave told me that story. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I have never forgotten that. I have never forgotten that story. We don't know when we are sowing into the lives of our children. Often, our values are caught more than they are taught. When I was 52 years old, I was the vice president of a woodworking company in town. And on this particular morning, the owner of the company called me in to tell me that his son was coming into the company, his 40-year-old son, and he was taking my job and that I didn't have a job. And he sent me home that day without a job. And I came home that afternoon and Carol said to me, well, you're home early today. What are you doing home so early for? <laughs> and I told her what happened. And you know, she didn't believe me. She didn't believe me. She said, you went to work this morning as a vice president and you came home this afternoon and you're telling me you don't have a job. And I said, that's right. And Peter, our youngest son, was a sophomore at Ripon College at that time. And when Peter found that out, he said to me, Dad, I guess I won't, have, I won't be able to go back to college next year. And I said, Peter, we have always trusted God in our family to provide for us. And now is no different. We'll trust God, Peter. I don't have an answer for you, but we'll trust him. And you sign up for college because you're going back next year. The following year, Peter got a $6,000 scholarship that they had never given out before an appointment as an RA. The year after that, my income was so low, he qualified for a Pell Grant. And God made a way for Peter. Carol and I have always tried to tell our children how God was working in our lives, that they might see he's real. When they were little, they thought Jesus lived in our house, but they just couldn't see him because we talked about him all the time. The younger generations look to the older generations to find out what life is about because they haven't lived it yet. They are also discovering that some of the lives that they are trying to live are fruitless and meaningless. They want to know, does Christianity really work? Can God be trusted? Can you walk faithfully all your life? Is the Christian life worth living or should I look for something else? In 1994, I was in Russia on a short-term mission trip. 
And it was Sunday morning, and I was scheduled to speak at the church service. There were five speakers on the schedule that morning, and I was number five. It was in February, and our service was in an unheated theater. People came in in coats, caps, and boots and never took them off. And uh, 90% of the people in that congregation were between the ages of 20 and 30, and nobody in the 300 people there had been a Christian for more than three years. And I was the last speaker, and I got up to speak, and I decided I'd just speak in a suit coat. I had a short sleeve shirt on. It was awfully cool. And I introduced myself, and at the end of my introduction, I said to them, I want you to know that I have been a follower of Jesus Christ for over 40 years. And spontaneously, the people jumped to their feet, and they began to applaud and cheer, clapping with gloves on, thump, thump, thump. And they just cheered. And when I was done speaking, a, a Russian man came running down the aisle, and he picked me up in a big bear hug, lifted me right off the ground. And he was speaking in Russian. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. And I said to my translator, what is he saying? And he said, the man is saying that you're the first American he has ever seen. And you are a Christian, and he is a Christian, and your hearts are just alike. There were no grandparents in Russia when I was there. And the younger generations wanted to know if Christianity would last, or was it just a passing fad? Would Jesus really keep his promises? Could they trust him? Was it real, or was it just smoke and mirrors? If we share the works of God and the message of the gospel with our children and grandchildren, will it guarantee that they become Christians? It won't, will it? But George Barna, the Christian pollster, tells us this, that 80% of the people that become Christians make that decision before they are 18 years old. What does that say to us as parents? We can give them our beliefs, but we cannot give them our convictions. It is our convictions that draw us to God. First, the conviction of sin that tells us we will perish if we don't correct or find a solution for the problem of our sins. And then the conviction that there's nothing we can do to solve the problem of sin in our lives. And finally, the acceptance of the truth that Jesus paid that penalty through his death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord wants us to leave our grandchildren a legacy that bears out the truth of Scripture and inspires them to seek it out on their own. A second important factor in leaving a godly legacy for those that come behind us is the need to finish strong in our Christian lives. I wanted to give you a good biblical definition of retirement, so I got out my concordance and looked up all the passages on retirement. You know what I found? <clears throat> there wasn't any. Not a single one. Retirement is a secular word. It's not a biblical word. There is no retirement for us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. You may expire from the kingdom, but you cannot retire from the kingdom. Unfortunately, many seniors and grandparents have transferred the concept of secular retirement to the church. They say things like, it's time for us to move over and let the younger people step up to the plate, but they don't just move over, they move out. The truth of the matter is that the Lord has work for us until 
we take our last breath. It certainly changes as we get older because we can't do all of the things we could when we were younger. But God has work for us to do. Revelation 2.10 says this, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The word faithful there doesn't just mean believing in Jesus as your Savior, but it talks about a tenacious clinging to and living in God's Word. One of the most difficult tests for the Christian is faithfulness over time. It involves perseverance and patience, but it speaks volumes to the younger generations in your family and to the people who are watching you in your congregation. And believe me, they are. We have some wonderful examples of people who finish strong in the Bible. I just want to look at a few of them. That one was Caleb. You remember that Caleb was one of only two people in an entire generation that was allowed to enter the promised land. And he is standing before the other one as he is speaking here, and that other one is Joshua. And he says to him in Joshua 14, verses 10 through 12, So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Caleb was declaring his desire to finish strong by taking the land that God had promised him. But that land was being held by a race of giants. Even more important than Caleb's strength was the leadership and maturity that he was demonstrating and providing for the generations that were under him. There are no shortcuts in Christianity and in maturing as a Christian. It only comes with time and experience in the kingdom. If you want to earn a scholarship for college as a young person, you don't say, well, I'm going to have a good senior year and I'll pick that scholarship up and I'll go on to college. You start in junior high working hard and you work your way through. You can't start at age 65 to, to finish strong and do it because you have to build it up over time. You have to start earlier than that. Highland has been a church for a little over 30 years and we've only been a, a big church for the last seven or eight years. When Carol and I started coming here, there were less than five sets of grandparents in our congregation. Today we have many. However, as a church, Highland is just beginning to graduate its first class of grandparents. The people that were in their 30s and 40-something when Carol and I started, they are now becoming the first class of grandparents. People like Ken and Tina Moberg and Brian and Linda Gutschak and Dan and Debbie Meyer and Rob and, and Nancy Weisey. There are, and, and there are others, and they're the first class of grandparents that we are graduating from Highland. However, the Lord has blessed us with many wonderful grandparents who have joined our congregation in the meantime, and many of them are people who have committed themselves to finishing strong in the kingdom. We have grandparents who sing on worship teams, 
play in praise bands, teach adult and children's Sunday school classes, lead small groups, usher and greet, lead in one-way club, help in nursery, lead mission trips, participate in mission trips. We have a couple of grandparents who go to Ethiopia to teach young people how to be missionaries. And we even have an old fogey that preaches once in a while. I can't tell you what a wonderful legacy you are leaving for your grandchildren. And I, I just praise the Lord that I am in a church that has three generations of active, growing believers. I want to close my sermon today by telling you about the legacy, the godly legacy that my grandparents left me and the legacy that Carol and I want to leave with our children. On the screen, we have Grandma and Grandpa Mahler. Grandpa was born in about 1875. Grandma and Grandpa Mahler had 12 children. They were sold out for Jesus before the term was even in existence. And all 12 of their children were Christians. All 12 children married. There were no divorces in the 12 children. Only four of the kids got to go to high school. One of them was my dad. My dad's nickname was Butch. In those days, butchers were, were a little on the chubby side, and my dad had chubby cheeks, and so they nicknamed him Butch. You might find him right there, just a little bit above Grandma with the wavy hair and the chubby cheeks. Four of those went to high school. Only one of them went to college. Grandma and Grandpa dedicated Uncle Kenny to the Lord. Uncle Kenny is the little guy sitting in front. He was the youngest. Somehow they sent him to the seminary. I don't know how they did it. But he went to the seminary, and Uncle Kenny was a missionary in Guatemala and Nicaragua for 40 years. Grandma and Grandpa had 53 grandchildren. I am the oldest boy in the family and the third oldest of the 53. At age 13, Grandma said to me, Dave, I think the Lord wants you to be a pastor. And Grandma talked to me about being a pastor every chance she got. She prayed for me consistently all of the time. And even until I was a senior in high school and people asked me, what do you think you're going to do, Dave? I'd say, I think I'm going to be a pastor. But I fell in love and it changed the direction of my life. And I didn't become a pastor. 41 years after my grandmother died, at the age of 63, God answered that prayer. And I stand before you today as a legacy of my grandmother and what she's done. Don't think that when you die, God takes those unanswered prayers and he puts them in a drawer and he shuts them and he says, that's it, it's all over. He can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And that is the legacy that my grandparents left for me. The next picture, we have Carol and I and our grandchildren. So it's taken last summer, the event of our 50th wedding anniversary. 
And these are most of our grandchildren. All of them have accepted Jesus as their Savior. I have had the joy and privilege of dedicating two of them. The oldest one is holding the youngest, and she's standing, he's standing next to Carol. His name is James. He's not holding his brother. He's holding his cousin, Lars. Carol has offered our grandchildren an opportunity to go on a mission trip with her when they get old enough, each one of them. And she just returned from the Dominican Republic two weeks ago, and James went along. And James went with her last year as well, and he goes to Ripon College, and he had to go right back to school from the mission trip. And so I was at the airport, central Wisconsin. I picked him up, and we jumped in the car, and we headed for Ripon College. We were five miles down the road, and James said to me, Papa, these last two weeks have been the happiest two weeks of my entire life. I cannot tell you the joy that that brings to my heart. This is the fifth generation, the fifth generation from my grandparents. Carol and I go to their track meets, their cross-country meets, their hockey games, their soccer games, their baseball games, their dance recitals, their music, their piano recitals. They stay overnight with us. We've taken them on vacation. Because if we want to build into their lives, we have to know them. We love them. And we want them to know us as their grandparents. Lars, he's the little guy. Lars is sitting four rows from the front today, just like he was three months ago with his Aunt Les and me and his brother Axel. And I had to go up and make the announcements. And Leslie said to me, Dad, when you went up there, Larsy turned to me and he said in the most respectful voice, Aunt Les, wow, Papa has the greatest, the coolest job. He's a pastor. My prayer for you today, parents and grandparents, is that you will desire to give your children and your grandchildren the most precious gift that you can possibly leave them. And that is a godly legacy. Let us pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be a grandparent. What a joy it is, Father, to walk in your ways. And as we look to you today, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that we might see it is only the things that are eternal that will last. We can give our kids and our grandkids a lot of things, and they will all go by the wayside. But the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the eternal life, that is received in the forgiveness of their sins is priceless, is priceless. And it is the most precious thing that we can give them. Oh Lord, inspire us, inspire us to lead them in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.